um, complaint of palpitations and, uh, you know, we often see that and kind of a mixed bag with going in, especially with younger people. Um, but sure enough, get in there and heart rate is about 270 beats per minute and, uh, definitely looking a little bit pale and not, not so healthy. Um, symptoms are going on for three hours. They did start with exertion with a patient and, uh, says he's had some kind of runs of it in the past, but never got caught seeing a cardiologist and nobody ever come of it. Um, it was a wide complex that was on there. And so just hearing that much, what would most people think that rhythm would be? WPW, very good consideration, especially a young person. So, <laughs> was not that though, sorry. <laughs> no, but that, that actually should be the first thing. So, wide complex rhythm. Um, VT, VT is often what we think of, or at least one of those things that we think of. But when you see that, you always do have to think about these other things, especially an accessory pathway, which WPW is a version of that. Um, that is always kind of a one thing you have to consider. Sometimes it looks like VT. Everybody's probably taking ACLS and you know, they, they make the test very straightforward as far as this one's clearly VT and this one's a normal sinus rhythm and there's nothing in between. Um, but there is actually some overlap and there's some different criteria that people can use. I'm not going to get into those right now, um, but at best, some of these criteria where they train the docs, they kind of go through that and even get varying opinions. And there's like a 6 to 7% miss rate on even kind of the best protocols of distinguishing VT from some of these other mimics. Um, so anyways, it, it's something to be, kind of be aware of. And as VT gets slower, it kind of has more overlap where it can be a little bit harder to dis distinguish at times. When it's going that fast, it does kind of narrow down your differential. Only so many things can go that fast. Uh, what was interesting about this case was, um, you know, so well, let me ask the question. So we tell you it's VTAC, it's going that fast. His blood pressure is 90 over 40. What's the treatment of choice for that? Electricity. You, know, you, you want to shock him. So uh, we did the humane thing and put him to sleep and, uh, after consent and all that, um, but it's three three shocks and uh, you know nothing. So uh, when it's a regular rhythm, you're going to do synchronized cardioversion. I just kind of thought we'd review some of those kind of basic teaching points. Synchronized cardioversion for a regular rate, um, if it's unstable or if it's been going on long enough, or a lot of uh, specialists even argue just cardioversion is kind of first line treatment in otherwise healthy people. Um, but yeah, three shocks. We did the first one at 100 joules. You can go up to 200 joules. We did that for the the second uh, ones. We tried changing pad placement as far as, you know, kind of going anterior and lateral versus anterior posterior, trying to kind of get to the uh, the key portions of the heart and still no success. So where do we go next is medications um, and medications in mind or what do you guys uh, want to use? Adenosine. All right. So that's a great thought. So adenosine primarily we use for SVT. SVT, especially if it has a bundle branch block or if it's with aberrancy or kind of a couple of things can really mimic VTAC with that. Now, the concern with that is a navy nodal blocker with that. Um, there have been cases in where if you were treating SVT as VTAC, um, you, you know, it, sorry, sorry, it's SVT, but you treat it as VTAC, you're actually usually safe. Most of the medicines that work for that will be effective. However, if you treat a VTAC as SVT with adenosine or some other ones, you can't actually get complete blockade and the patient can't arrest. So that's, that's actually one of those teaching points I wanted to bring up is, it, it, it's it's very easy to do that and reach for that, but it has some potential harm. So if there's ever doubt, treating it as VTAC is actually a safer option with that. Um, Procainamide is probably first line medication for you know that a lot of specialists reach for. It's cheap. It's been around because it's so cheap. A lot of drug companies might push for some other ones uh, in front of that one, um, but it is pretty effective, and, uh, and most of the specialists recommend it. Um, amiodarone is another one that's uh, pretty close to you know being very effective as well, and then uh, lidocaine is probably treated as third line. 
Um, the advantage to lidocaine might only work in about 20% of cases, but if it's going to work, you see that it works right away. You can redose it and, and get some effectiveness. And then also you can use it in conjunction with those other two medications. So in this patient, lidocaine, we started after the amiodarone. Amiodarone didn't have effect. We didn't have procainamide. And then um, the lidocaine actually did bring the heart rate down, only lasts for a few minutes and it goes right back up. Uh, so we had him on a lidocaine drip, amiodarone drip, magnesium going, and then eventually converted as he kind of rolled through the doors in the ICU here. So um, I think that's it. I mean, other things to always just kind of keep in mind, hyperkalemia can do some very odd things, including a wide complex rhythm, ditch toxicity. And then as we're pushing procainamide or amiodarone, there can be hypotension or especially with amiodarone, some Brady dysrhythmias that can come out as well. So just things to be aware of. It doesn't mean you need to stop it. Absolutely, you probably slow the rate down or maybe even stop it temporarily and then restart at a slower rate. And I think that's it for VT today.